Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this time that we've had to just lift up our praise, lift up our hearts, to have you lift up our heads, Lord, and that we might look for where our help comes from. Because our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so this morning, Father, as we now assemble in your presence, gather around your word, I pray, O oh God, that we might recognize that through the power of the Holy Spirit and as representatives of a holy God, you have called us to a special mission to represent the Lord Christ on this earth. I pray, Father, this morning as we evaluate our own lives in light of the scriptures, that by your power, we might allow you to call us into line that we might truly be a holy people unto you. So, Father, I pray that your word would be powerfully received by us today. For Jesus' sake, I pray, amen. As we sing songs together about our holy God, Um, I need someone to actually go into my office and get my glasses. <laughs> Can you imagine? Mark, hello Mark. You might have trouble finding them. <laughs> They're in my briefcase. In the meantime, We'll count on the Lord giving supernatural power. <laughs> but as a, as a holy people, we are, we're in a series right now, Everyday Ethics, for an exilic minority. Uh, what it means to revisit our Christian identity in a very confused world. And I think you'll probably agree with me that there is no more evidence of confusion than in the areas of sexual fidelity and the treatment of one another in marriages and with respect to honoring God. Uh, I think the question goes out, how different are God's people in the areas of our sexual fidelity, our Treatment and responsibilities in marriage. Is there Fabulous. Thank you, Mark. You're a gentleman and a scholar. <laughs> so if you were called today to rate the overall state or picture of Christian marriages, 
Christian marriages. Would you rate them as healthy? Would you rate Christian marriages as an example for the world to follow? Would you rate them as better than society at least? Or would you rate Christian marriages as alarming? I doubt whether there's any of us who are not somehow in the midst of a family situation or friends or whatever where there's a marriage crisis or numbers of crisis. There's been, for me, there's been just like a season of one after another hearing of this and hearing of that and just grieving, just burdened by what's going on in Christian marriages. Now, I could deliver to you uh, all kinds of unnerving statistics. But I don't think I have to. Because I think you already know. I think you're already aware. So Jesus sets out in the Sermon on the Mount to correct or reform some of the teaching that has gone on with respect to the commandments. And he chooses six. You have heard it said, but I say. Six times he does that. It should captivate our attention that of the six that Jesus chooses to reform and identify, two of them are related to marriage. One third of what Jesus chooses to highlight in terms of reform has to do with marriage, human sexuality, sexual fidelity. So we're not talking today, as, as Jesus wades into uh, the state of marriage affairs in his day, as one of his priority correctives, I want us to understand something that we're talking about kingdom marriage. We're talking about spirit-enabled, spirit-empowered, spirit-energized, spirit-supernatural marriages. We're not talking about run-of-the-mill marriages that are what we see around us. We are talking about our marriages. We're talking about our sexual fidelity. We're, we're, it, it is abundantly obvious that people can't do this in their own strength. Abundantly obvious. But that's not who we are. We aren't people who've been called into the kingdom of God to operate on our own strength. Jesus wasn't some sort of intellectual add-on to our lives. That's very nice. I know about a historic Jesus. It's, it was an empowerment by the Holy Spirit himself who came upon us at our conversion and changes everything in our lives and enables us to, do, to live above the fray around us. That's why last week we 
waded into the areas of anger toward one another. Have you, have you cleared that up? Have you fixed what needs to be fixed by the power of God's Spirit? One thing we becomes a, a certain to us as we finish out the chapter 5 in the next several weeks is that God is pro-relationships. If you were to try and, you know, quantify the character of God and what really, really means something to Him, how we treat each other really, really matters to God. It really does. God is pro-relationships and He has decided zeal for marriage. God is for your marriage. God is for you. God is zealous about your marriage. God is zealous about marriage because of its representation, its symbol as, as the relationship that God has with his people. And, and so as a pro-marriage God, he requires his kingdom citizens to be pro-marriage as well. They take marriage very seriously. Jesus hasn't set up a haven for sin-filled Christians who may not be Christians at all. In fact, we know that the teaching in the scriptures are by your fruit, not by your mouth you will be known. And what does God say in Malachi 2.15? For I hate divorce. So God doesn't leave any query in our minds as to where he stands on the matter of the dissolution of the most fundamental relationships in humankind, relationship of a husband and a wife. Well, if your Bibles are with you this morning, I trust they are, or you have some way of getting to God's word electronically, would you please turn to Matthew chapter 5? I want to look at verses 27 through 32. Let me just give one more sort of backdrop to Jesus' teaching here. Marriage at the time of Jesus was in total disarray. It was threatening to destabilize society itself. So, what we have around us now may or may not be as bad as when Jesus was walking among us. But certainly, it was like what we have now. The Greek culture had just infested society with promiscuity. That culture was with its salacious theater and art was a complete fidelity train wreck. And the Roman culture that had now, was now displacing the Greeks from power was introduced to the Greek promiscuity. The Roman families were stronger. The Roman marriages were stronger than Greek marriages. 
but they were also starting to crumble as well. You, you know as you read the scriptures, Roman patriarchy, there, there was a respect of family among the Romans. But the Greek culture was threatening the Roman culture. They were glorifying infidelity. And at the same time, the Jews were extremely liberalizing divorce restrictions to the point where there was almost nothing that could prevent a divorce. It's just people were, men were just disposing of their wives. And on the basis of the culture, it was, it was men disposing of women, not the other way around. So the vast majority of what Jesus is going to speak to here is to men, not to women. To men who were destroying their marriages. That's why Jesus called them an adulterous generation. You are an adulterous generation. Can you imagine? He's using the seventh commandment and defining them. Their identity, their identity was a violation of the commandment of God against adultery. Now, we today are revisiting Christian identity in a confused world. Is it possible that God is able to look at the church of Jesus Christ and call us an adulterous generation? Well, we're going to see as we look at the scriptures this morning what Jesus is assessing. So, verse 27, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Well, this is the word of God. Can I say at the outset that Jesus loves us so much that he doesn't want us to go to hell. That's what this is about. What we're teaching here today. And I know some of you are, are going to wish that I would be more pastoral than I'm going to give my best at being. Because in some cases I realize that your life even perhaps now is raw and is hurting and there's lots of pain or that even teaching like this just, just resurfaces great pain in your life. I, I'm not unaware of that. The Lord's not, certainly not unaware of that. And in fact, because of the pain and the rawness and the hurt is why this is so urgent. 
It, can, it confirms why this is so important to talk about. These relationship destroyers are devastating. They ruin lives. But let me just say this morning that what's done is done. But would you please help me? Would we please help each other? Would you please help me to, to help the next generation? Those who are with us right now, those who are making decisions even today, would you all help me to help them do the right thing before God? Can we be on mission together about these things? Because we have hurt each other. There are a lot of hurt people. We continue to hurt each other. And we've not been called to be a community that hurts each other. We've been a, a called to be a community that builds each other up into the likeness of Jesus Christ, to be a, 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 a wonderful kingdom of God, demonstrating the glories of Jesus and the value of Jesus, that people might look at our lives and, and hunger for what we have, long for what we have. And I would submit to you that Jesus is calling on us today. He's calling on his people to a holy war. A holy war against infidelity. A holy war against mistreating each other, male, female. The major cause of marriage destruction is because of sexual infidelity. And please, please remember that Jesus has said, what therefore God has joined together, let not man take apart. You might have thought as you looked starry gazed into the eyes of the person that God brought into your life that you were making the best decision of your life to marry that person and you were. But that decision and that marriage was actually put together by God Almighty himself. There, make no mistake about it. Marriage is put together by God. What therefore God has joined. Man has no authority to take apart. And the main destroyer of marriage is forbidden by the seventh commandment, which itself was being completely manipulated by both the, the pagan culture and more primarily what Jesus was addressing is the Jewish culture. Jewish teaching, Jewish practice. And Jesus presents two timely, destiny-related Clarification. Let me say that destiny-related clarifications on committing adultery and causing adultery, which Jesus defines as lust and divorce. So, let's dig in. 
Jesus says, you have heard that it was said. I'm gonna write, I'm gonna rewrite it this way. You have heard it said that window shopping is no big deal, just make sure you make your purchases at home. You're looking at me like, what in the world are you talking about? I'm talking about people who suggest that adultery is what you do but not necessarily what you look at. That's the shopping. But today Jesus is calling us out, those who would look as adulterers. I'm sure that took their breath away. Committing adultery, do you see what Jesus says it is? Everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Isn't that what it says? So Jesus looks here at committing and wanting to do it are the same thing to Jesus. And a man may plead not guilty by saying, I didn't do it. And Jesus is saying back to us, why did you even want to do it? So what is this um, looking at a woman lustfully then here? It's staring, staring at. It's a craving look. Some of the women will know this word, it's leering. You know the word leering? But it's staring at a woman with, treating her as an object, not as a person. An object, a goal to possess, a, to gratify your own flesh. It's, it's, a, it's literally a breaking of the seventh commandment, according to Jesus. And that, guys, listen, and I know this is not just a male issue, but men, listen. And I know women are engaging as well. That's what pornography trains your mind to do, to become. Pornography trains your mind to depersonalize a woman to see her as an object of your gratification, to see her as an object of sexuality, not to see her as a person to relate to, a human being. And it changes, it shapes the way a man looks at every single woman. That's what pornography does. Every single woman is sized up for sex. 
That's what, how por- pornography affects a man's mind. This is why Jesus deals with it here. He deals with looking. You think there wasn't pornography in Jesus' day? The Greek theater was filled with pornography. If you travel in the uh, Holy Land and you see ancient ruins and ancient statues and ancient things, ancient depictions, you will see that they were completely infected with pornography. Because Jesus knows exactly, Jesus is talking about this. This is, is, by the way, not condemning the natural desire of a man for a woman, otherwise we would have no offspring. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about allowing a natural desire to be redirected towards someone who isn't your spouse and to actually lust after someone else to leer after someone else, to stare at someone else. Keep in mind that we are called as followers of Christ to live pure lives. John says in 1 John 3, 3, in light of the fact that Jesus has lavished his salvation love upon you, what kind of people ought we to be? We are people who purify ourselves. We live pure lives. Sin-filled Christianity is not Christianity at all. See, far too many of us see Christianity as being rescued from the consequences of sin. And if that's all you see, if if that's how you see Christianity, then you have the impression that you can sin because you're already rescued from the consequences of sin. But Christianity, yes, is rescue from the consequences of sin because it's rescue from the power of sin in the first place. Now, since our soul and eternal destiny are at risk, do you see that Jesus frames this in eternity? When he says it's better, he says, you... If your right eye causes you to sin, you, you should gouge it out and throw it away because it's better for you to lose your eye than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus frames this issue of lustful staring into the context of hell. This is not just boys will be boys Guys sowing their wild oats kind of thing. Isn't that fun? Isn't that, isn't that something? That's a thing? No, no, no. This is, this is framed right into destiny. So the, the man at risk here, or woman if it applies, the man at risk here needs to take radical surgical steps to remove immediately what's seducing them to sin. Their eyes, their flesh. Now, I can tell you right now, guys, you could gouge out both eyes and you could still lust. This is talking about 
radical action. I've talked to you about this before, but I'm not sure anything's changing. From what I know as and understand as pastor, I'm not sure anything's changing, guys. And I'm, I'm, I don't know how much more dramatic I need to get today in, in bringing to your attention what this actually ultimately results in for you, but it's not heaven, okay? A life invested in pornography is not heaven. And this is not, Jesus isn't talking about a gradual removal or cautious steps or, or, you know, weeks or months or years sitting around a group commiserating with how much you struggle with pornography. If, if your physical heart was in the same state as your spiritual heart and you were here this morning, we would call, call an ambulance right away to rush you to the hospital for a quadruple bypass without hesitancy. Your spiritual heart is more important than your physical heart. And many of us need to get in a spiritual ambulance right now and get taken to our house and start smashing our laptop and our phone and our television and getting rid of all of the things we've enlisted in immediately. That's how seriously at risk your life is. Many men in here today can't afford to drop dead today because you're not in shape to meet Jesus. And you think you're a Christian. We have an epidemic. Listen, the, the, the real pandemic today is this stuff. This is the pandemic. Ruined lives, ruined marriages, men with no desire to marry because they're just gratifying themselves online. Are you serious, guys? Sacrificing marriages, women trafficked, young women pulled out of homes and trafficked to serve Christian men's lust. You think that's going to go down well at judgment? You need to lose your phone, your laptop, your cable TV, so that you don't lose your whole body in hell. Is that not what Jesus is saying here? Am I not paraphrasing Jesus appropriately? If you're supposed to take out your eye or cut off your hand, surely, at minimum, the radical surgery that needs to be done is to get rid of anything that seduces you to lust after a woman. 
And you can check on yourself. What's going on in your mind? What goes on in your mind when a woman walks by? There's an interesting person or there's a nice person. Or do you size her up for sex? Salvation only covers the saved. And the saved purify themselves. I, I, guys, listen, if you really belong to Jesus, if you really belong to Jesus, you're going to do this. You are going to do this today. Jesus intends to show and explain how divorce can actually result in breaking the commandment with respect to adultery as well. You have heard it said that divorce is permissible for any and every reason and that casual remarriage in their, these delicate matters is best viewed as live and let live. Let me give you some, you know, when Jesus asked later on in Matthew, when Jesus asked the Pharisees, when they were, actually when they asked him about divorce, and he said to them, well, what did Moses say to you? And the first thing they said, well, Moses gave us a, a certificate of divorce. And then Jesus says, no, that's not the Moses thing I was asking you about. You go right to Deuteronomy. I wanted you to go to Genesis because Moses wrote that too. Moses wrote in the beginning, God put them together, man and woman. And what God has put together, let not man take apart. Why is it that when we are asked questions like these about lifestyle and choosing things, we, we look for loopholes. We look for how to get out of things. We, we look for what, what, how can we sashay the law just a little bit to manipulate the way we might want it to look. And, and here, here's the teachers, here's the teachers of the law. The, the, the ones that people were looking up to is this, as the moral standard, the gold standard of God's people, Pharisees. And the first place they go in the question about marriage is how to get out of it. Is there not something wrong with that? So, this was a staggering statement that Jesus made here. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. So much so that the disciples' jaws dropped to the ground. And when they picked them back up and were able to say something to Jesus, they said, well, who can get married with such a high standard? And Jesus said, well, it's not possible with everyone. But if you can, by the power of God. So what was this certificate of divorce? 
Because what we read here is that Jesus is definitely pro-permanence in marriage. People say, well, yeah, but in the Bible, there was a certificate of divorce. And yes, there was. In Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 4, we don't have time to dig into that and exegete it, but in that text there, it says if a man found something indecent in his wife, he could offer a certificate of divorce that she could go and remarry someone else. The problem is, by the time Jesus arrived on the scene, that something indecent had become just anything. She burnt his eggs in the morning. That's indecent. She's divorced. And they were just using anything to dispose of their wives. And what they were tending to do is they saw someone else they wanted. They saw another woman that they wanted. They would declare that something, there was something indecent about the wife they presently had. They would dispose of her so that they could have another wife. And it would be lawful. So they were seeking to actually legalize adultery. Okay? They were lusting after another woman. Now, how can I get out of this? Brother, have you never heard of a certificate of divorce? One of their friends says. Oh, I haven't heard of that. Well, all you have to do is declare something indecent about your wife. Get her certificate of divorce. Get rid of her. You can have this other woman scot-free. Probably not scot-free back then because there weren't scots. You think, but free, you're out. And you haven't violated the seventh commandment. Jesus reels it all back in. No, 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 no. No, this is not... You've heard from the legalists who've reduced the Mosaic certificate to utterly abusive levels. And women were just being passed around, just thrown around. Most divorces by that time were actually legalized adultery. The real statement that Jesus makes is this. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for pornea causes her to become an adulteress. In other words, cause her to become an adulteress because if you cast out a woman in that day, she had no social safety net. She had no one to look after her. She had to find another husband. This was, this was about managing the care of women, which has now become disgraceful. And we live in a day and age where the care of one another has also become disgraceful. So how permanent is marriage to Jesus? Let's just be honest here. From his perspective, divorce does not change God's design of until death do us part. Divorce and adultery seem to be connected. The one who pursues divorce is sentencing the marriage to adultery unless adultery has already caused the divorce, in which case the adulterer is responsible for the legacy of that marriage and adultery. 
You'll never see Jesus endorse divorce, never. And remarriage is adultery unless it's caused by adultery. You hear of vast majorities of, of divorces in our culture on the basis of irreconcilable differences. There are no irreconcilable differences with Christians. Are we not actually identified as ambassadors of reconciliation? Now, I wanted to stay just with Jesus' teaching, but I, I, I must add here that that Jesus further teaches through Paul in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 7. Remember when Jesus in John 16 said, look, I have way more to say to you, but you can't take it. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to lead you into truth. That's what the rest of the New Testament is about, the Holy Spirit leading the apostles into truth. So what Paul says has the authority of Jesus. And Paul likewise in 1 Corinthians 7 talks about no divorce or remaining single or seeking reconciliation. But if divorce occurs because of the hardness of hearts, which none of us want to be classified as, do we? Our, our, we're kingdom citizens. We don't, want to be, we, we don't want our standards to be based on the hardness of hearts. Our standards are to be based on the grace of God and the kindness and forgiveness and reconciliation of God, the repentance and opportunities that we have because of Christ and what he's done in our lives, the power of the Spirit of God in our lives. But if divorce does happen, remarriage, perhaps by a, if there's abandonment by an unbeliever, by an adulterer, or if reconciliation is not possible, or if death of a spouse, and of course Jesus would also endorse remarriage of death of a spouse. But Jesus doesn't teach divorce. The scriptures simply manage it. And the ideal set before us is something much better than that. And, and so let me, just, let me just conclude this morning with, with a couple of more statements. Men, we've already, you already know what you need to do. But also, I'm going to talk men and women, love your marriage partner deeply. Remember I said, what's done is done, but help, let's help each other. Let's help each other now. Let's help the next, this generation. Let's help the generation to come. Let's help those who are in decisions even now. Let's help those who need help right now. But love your marriage partner deeply. Don't dispose of them, ever. Because marriage is sacred. Marriage illustrates and symbolizes God's unbreakable bond with his people. That's what makes adultery one of the most serious of all offenses. Because it devastates the very heart of the symbol of God's fidelity with his people. Do you remember when David committed adultery? King David committed adultery. What did he say in the Psalms? Against you, O Lord, alone have I sinned. David recognized the significance of a marriage breakdown. Disloyalty is not negotiable to Jesus and legal recourse is for hard-hearted and not kingdom citizens. Don Carson says this, according to Jesus, 
Divorce is the moral equivalency to adultery. So think carefully about what you are considering. If you are in a rough spot right now in your life, in your marriage, consider carefully what you are thinking. You may not use your lust for someone else to avoid the liability of adultery by the legal recourse of divorce. So we can't undo what we have done, but we can do better with our hearts from this point forward. And we can raise a generation of Christians who make our male and female relationships about pure hearts. Judgment Day will not be a verbal defense. It will be an unveiling of actual deeds. You are justified by faith, but your faith is justified by your deeds. So we are a mercy, we are a grace, we are forgiveness, we are repentance, we are reconciliation community. These are hallmarks of our identity. And so Christ appeals to us today as kingdom citizens with a bar that he has raised very high that is impossible for humans to reach. But with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, we can live an identity as kingdom citizens that meets the design of God for our marriages and for our sexuality and for our fidelity and for our purity with one another that we might treat one another as valued people in the image of God and never as objects of our own personal gratification, ever. Our Father, we first of all come before you with repentance, confession. Lord, there are, there are areas of slippage in our lives where we have allowed things. We have allowed theater. We've allowed movies. We've allowed social devices. We've allowed electronic technolo technological things to damage our purity, reshape our thinking, change our, our view of people, commodify the very hearts you died for, O oh Lord. We have disposed of people lightly. We have been rejected and abused and cast away by people. There are precious people in this place and online who've been thrown away by people, thrown away by their spouse, O oh Lord. Forgive us our trespasses. Help us to go forward, Father, with healthy 
relationships in terms of sexual fidelity, I pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. So I've said all I need to say this morning. I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes right now. Right where we are, it's time for us to talk to God. It's time for you to talk to God. It's time, men, for you to confess to the Lord what you need to confess to Him because of what the Holy Spirit had already put on your heart. It's time for us to treat our precious sisters in Christ properly, starting right now, and getting it right with God. For couples in here, married couples, it's time for us to treat each other properly. It's time for us to repair the hurts, the ways we have violated our marriage. It's time for us to put a stop to any direction away from parting. It's time for marriages to come back together. It's time for us to forgive one another, to be reconciled to one another, to live out our lives, our, all the days of our lives, with each other. So allow the Holy Spirit to do His work in your life and then honor what God is calling you to do. You can't do it but he will strengthen you to do it as you rely on him. But don't put it off. Don't gather around in groups for the next six months talking about it. This is radical surgery time. This is the difference between heaven and hell time. Today is, this minute is all you've been offered by the Lord. You haven't been offered another five minutes of life. You need to get this right now. Do it now. And don't turn back. Don't look back. Follow what God has put in your heart to do. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen and amen.